0: Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy, and today we've got another amazing guest on our show. She is the host of the Wellness Driven Life Show, a former deputy sheriff, and has had to overcome her own health challenges with lupus. Welcome to the show, April Chavez. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thanks so much, David, for having me.
0: Absolutely. So this might be a little different being on the other end of the microphone here, isn't it?
1: It (laughs) totally is. But I'm really excited to be able to, you know, be on that other side to be the primary speaker, to be able to share a little bit more about me
0: absolutely now you are getting into speaking as well uh so kind of what is the story that uh that has gotten you into this speaking and interviewing realm and uh how have you gone from a deputy sheriff to uh <laughs> being a wellness uh, show host
1: oh my gosh well that there's a lot of content behind all of the how did we get to this point right Right. and i would say initially overall wellness has been at the forefront of my life forever i wasn't diagnosed with lupus until 15 however had shown symptoms since birth so i have lived with this my entire life and so when I had to go see a lot of doctors and listen to what they had to say and realizing I had to navigate things in a different way on my own based on information that was correct. Or maybe it wasn't correct, but realizing that I had to take a lot of things into my own hands. So I did a lot of research on what it was, you know, what made a difference, me putting in on and around my body, things like that, um... Navigating just, my story. Just to kind
0: of uh, give people a background, what were you going through? Um, what happens with lupus, especially from a young age?
1: Oh well, lupus, I think a really great way to describe lupus is it it attacks you. So your body's constantly fighting itself, I guess. That's that's a really great way. Your body is constantly fighting itself. So it's um inflammation in so many regards. It shows up in a million different ways. And that's why it's very difficult to diagnose is because you get all of these different symptoms. And so doctors will figure out why are you having these symptoms? And we can't really understand why, because this is testing out great and you look good here. So it takes that really deep internal research and that extensive blood work in order to find it. And it took years and years. And when I was a kid, they thought I had um, leukemia. And so I went through a lot of different processes in trying to find whatever it was that was the ailment. And so that affected me a lot as a teenager too, because when I had to keep going in, into the emergency room because I had this excruciating pain. They would do all the tests and nothing was showing up, so they thought that I was coming in for drugs. And so it was oh. very difficult for me um, because I always felt like, "Why won't people believe me? I'm not a liar," or, you know. And then you think in your head, like, you know, am I? am I crazy? Am I making this up? Is, is things really happening when you have all these medical procedures that are showing up okay? And it's a very strange place to be, and you feel unheard and unseen. And so that's really when it started that I had to start taking things into my own hands. I had to start figuring out ways to feel better, live better, be better, And really, as a youth, I never wanted the disease to define me. I just wanted to be a normal kid, right? And, you know, I couldn't go out and do the things or the late night parties because it affected me so greatly where I became sore and weak and tired and sleep was essential for me. Where a lot of youth, you know, they're used to getting four hours of sleep at night and they're able to to operate on that. And I simply was not. And so I I really had to navigate my life in different ways where I chose to stay away from that. So I guess it benefited me in certain regards. And as I got older and had children, I, you know, first off, I was told I couldn't have children. That's a huge, huge part of my life. I mean, it really drastically changed it. I was 18 years old. I was sexually active said I couldn't have children, and I said, well, why am I taking this birth control where I have all these side effects? So, (laughs) right? I get off the birth control, and voila, I'm pregnant. And I think, well, I suppose I'll miscarry because I'm not supposed to have kids. (laughs) They said so. And um, so I had my daughter. I had just turned 19, so when I had all of these ideas of going to school and wanted to go into forensic entomology and that's like a 10-year plan, it it just spun everything totally around where I now was responsible for a life. And right. <laughs> that propelled me further into wanting to lead a, a healthier existence for her okay. and Yeah. So that's when nutrition really started coming in the forefront of my life. And I researched foods and started reading labels and learning more about that.
0: Exactly. And kind of on that note, uh, lupus, like many other autoimmune diseases, are starting to just ramp up in numbers here. And a huge part of it is going to be diet because anything we eat is going to be tagged as something that's going to help us be nutritious or something that is foreign and needs to be taken out of the body quicker. And uh, people just don't realize that because we're always taught, Oh, it's, it's just something that that's not lethal. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) really, uh, each small little bit, especially when you have an autoimmune, uh, disease or disorder, um, really starts to affect people. Um, what sort of foods did you find really kind of wreaked havoc on you uh, the oh. most?
1: You know, well, what's interesting, David, is you know I like to think of my disease as my superpower because <laughs> it it shows me pretty quickly what it doesn't like and. Yeah. So in, in a lot of cases, and then sometimes it takes a while because, you know, when you think about all of the things that we consume, there's a, especially if you're consuming things that are processed or have many different ingredients, it's very difficult to pinpoint it down. So when you start going into eating more whole, more natural, it's easier to start understanding what's working and what's not. And in that process, you start feeling better anyway, because the less ingredients the better. Um, what's interesting is my mom actually noticed early on, um, when I was a child that red dye, um, really affects. Yeah. So like, if you think about like Skittles Mm -hmm. or any sort of candy, um, M and M's, but that red dye specifically, and there's a lot of research behind it, it it has a big effect on most of us. And so as a parent, like you, you give your kids candy because you're like, okay, you know, I want to be this great parent, you deserve that. Um, you know, I want you to, to live and experience, you know, this incredible flavor. And yet, we see our kids start acting out and they can't sleep. And you're like, why? <laughs> well, it's because of maybe some of the foods that they're consuming. And it's having this interaction within their bodies. So that's just one example um, that was I was fortunate. My mom was in nursing. She is in nursing.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so she had an understanding of some of those things. So I didn't grow up on a lot of fast foods. We, we definitely grew up with probably some of the, the lower end for affordability, the government cheese, you know, the white bread. So she she wasn't aware of everything. But as far as like pops and candies and all of those junk foods, we didn't have growing up and it was it was like a a real treat to have pepsi with pizza once a month or something you know and but that was a fun period of childhood when we got to have the movie and the pizza so yes. i think that I mean, that's kind of a good note to leave on with people. It's like you don't have to necessarily go to extreme levels, especially when you're starting out on switching a diet. When you consider you have lived your entire life of eating a certain way, if you just try to switch that immediately, it's not going to work out for you. So give yourself some grace and be able to cherish the moments when you do splurge. But, um, you know, I would say like the process process, Breads and stuff. And I think if I could just tap on this, David, is one thing that's very, very important. When I was um, in the womb, conceived, born th- during that time period, my parents were farmers. So we okay. have wheat farms in northern Montana and uh, at that time stretch across Wyoming and Montana areas. And so during that farming there's there's all of the process with chemicals and during that farming there's there's all of the process with chemicals and the pesticides and you are around that and it's just this bombardment but you don't think about that right N- nobody thought about that then and now that we have the research we are thinking about it but then it wasn't so i truly believe that uh, you know those those cells were activated within me during that time period
0: ah that is an important insight, absolutely. Yeah, wow.
1: and you know, we you just talked about how lupus is really on the rise, mm-hmm. and what's interesting is reading some studies that it is on the rise after this global pandemic, and so when you start going down deeper into a biological level, those those things are activated, you know, based on the stress of the body, and so we yes. all have disease dormant within us. It's just whether and when they're going to be activated. But the good news is, is because they can be activated, they can be reactivated.
0: Nice. I love that approach. And that that is huge for people. Now, let's also talk about stress. Um, So yes, you've kind of managed the diet. Your mother really honed in on on a few things there that helped you out. Um, You've got the stress of being a 19-year-old. With with a baby and uh, the stress of maybe not going into the career you had planned, uh, but you headed into a very stressful career on top of that, uh, becoming a police officer. Uh, Kind of walk us through what happened with all of this.
1: Well... There was a few things. So I had had two other children after that. So I was a mother of three daughters. I am a mother of three daughters, and they're all beautiful and healthy. So, um, you know, that's a big testimony to where, you know, the medical society says you're supposed to be and where, Mm -hmm. you know, what actually ends up happening. And, you know, that may be on belief system or what have you. We could go into that all day. Um, but when I, you know, as a young, young parent, I didn't have that opportunity to to really ground my life, especially financially. So, um, we, we were pretty poor, (laughs) so I, you know, and, and my husband was having trouble with career work and I was trying to be the stay at home mom. I was homeschooling, so we did a lot of that and when there there was a time when I really needed to step up and start contributing and ended up being the the main contributor of the household. But I started thinking about, well, you know, I wanted to go into forensic entomology and so I don't really foresee me doing that and doing such extensive schooling with the kids. But what is something else that I could do that might gear me in that direction? So I learned that if I wanted to go into that career field, it doesn't necessarily take schooling, but experience. And so you can take, you know, boots on the ground job experience and apply that to something that you want to do in the future, right? In that field. And so, detective work came up, you know, as something that I can okay. strive for. And, you know, I was really, really interested in in serving, going into the military. And the reason is for a few different um, things. I I grew up in Colorado, and so I experienced when I was in high school the Columbine school shootings. So that was that played oh, a really yes. big impact oh. in my life. And when we start thinking about wanting to help uh, and you don't want that to happen ever again. So law enforcement really was something that might be a calling for me because of that experience. And also my best friend at the time was working downtown at a movie store and ended up being robbed and shot. And so that had a bit of effect on me too. Yeah. And so there's that, not only that, but I didn't want my disease to define me. And so there was so much of me that wanted to prove to myself and to the world that my disease didn't define me, that I was normal, that I was strong, that I wasn't going to be the sickly person. And so the, um, (laughs) the, the, I wasn't able to go into like any of the forces the military because they had access to my health records. Well, law enforcement uh-huh. didn't. So <laughs> I chose to go that route. And so that's what I did. I I put myself through police academy. I went into law enforcement. It was an amazing experience because it really empowered me and showed me that I can I'm I'm capable of doing really great things. That everybody else is yes wow
0: that is impactful and you're going through being a police officer what was the career like um what uh what sort of things did you love about it and what sort of things uh, kind of uh maybe disenfranchised you
1: (laughs) well that could be a long topic too (laughs) The things that I loved about it was my curiosity, my exploratory, my explorative nature. Uh, you know, I mean, if you think about forensic entomology, and some people might not know what that is, but it's the study of the life cycle of insects that attack a corpse. I guess in the simplest terms, yes. and so those sort of things fascinated me. Um, the life cycle, death, fascinated me, and maybe that's because I had been so close to it so often, so many times in my life, where I w- I had this really um, big understanding that yes, we all know that that's the end result that we we don't no, no nobody gets out alive, right? <laughs> right. Um, but from a young age, it's like. When, when you come so close, and thank you for modern medicine because it has saved my life on so many occasions, but, you know, I, I wanted to understand death a little bit more. It opened up my curiosity into it and to be able to feel comfortable with it and to welcome it. And when you think about children who, you know, are, are facing leukemia, facing um, death, they're so strong. They're so brave. It's it's absolutely fascinating the way a child uh, is able to cope with that, if you've ever seen that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had aspects of that within me. And I think it's what also made me a really great police officer was because I I wasn't afraid. Like, I, I get that, you know, I could die getting into the car because that's the most dangerous thing we do every day. And I hope people know that, you know, so life is, you know, when it's your time, it's your time. So live it. And So that's what I did. I was able to respond, you know, effectively uh, in my career field because I, I had that understanding. And so, I mean, some of the greatest points were you never really know how you're going to respond in a situation until it happens. Right. So you have all of this training. And I'd like to say you don't rise to the level of your courage, but you fall to the level of your training because that's exactly what happens. And so that's why it's important to, you know, continualize habits, daily habits. If you know, want to know how you're going to respond in a certain situation and I, I had a lot of situations where it was life and death in that position where it was me or them or, you know, and, and having to s- protect other people as well as myself and realizing after those events had occurred that I, execute them, I executed them in a professional, safe, successful manner.
0: Wow. That is something to be said. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And how did these kind of life or death situations uh, impact you? And uh, what's your outlook on them?
1: Uh, well, you, you know, and I'm and I'm sure the listening audience, like, if you if you don't have a strong stomach, then. You shouldn't be listening. <laughs>
0: this isn't the but, show for you. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, one of one of the most. I mean, there's there's a few really awesome, profound moments that I experienced during my time. Um, and one of them that I would share is it was my first suicide, oh. and a lot oh. of our most of our calls, I would say, are were DVs, domestic violence. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's unfortunate, but that's just the way that it is in that world. And, but this was my, my first major death, my first suicide. And it was a woman who had earlier dropped her kids off at the school bus and shipped them off to school, came back and, and shot herself in her bed, in her bedroom. Wow. And. When I responded to the scene and I was walking through the house, I was looking alongside of the walls and I saw the family photos. And they were great family photos. You know, there was them all together in Disneyland and everybody looked happy and joyful. And as I started walking through the house, it just felt darker, almost like you're in a dream. And it just felt darker and colder and, and scarier. And it just didn't feel right. And then I walked back into the bedroom and I saw the woman on the bed and I, 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 I took out my flashlight and I got closer to her and closer to her body because her mouth was open because she had shot herself with a 45. Um, and you know, this may be a little grotesque for some people, but I had thought that there wouldn't be much left because a 45 is, 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 uh, you know, is a pretty large caliber of, weapon. Yeah. It's a very powerful weapon. So I was fascinated by that. And I was like, I wanted to see like how all of this worked. It was my first time. So I was so curious. And as I approached her and got closer, cause I wanted to look inside her mouth because what was interesting is it looked like there was teeth on the, on the roof of her mouth, but everything looked intact on in the front. And so I'm like, well, where, where is that coming from? And so I got closer and I had this like immediate feeling of, of like dread and this voice that said, back off. And wow. so I just felt that and I felt this presence above me like get away and it felt angry and it felt like, like so much anger and, and like, like just back off. And so that was, I've always known and felt that there's more. And it wasn't just that, but like when, when you, when you're with a a body or somebody who has passed, you really sense this hollowness. Like it's a really interesting thing to witness, to feel, to be around, but you definitely know that something's missing <laughs> so yes. you you realize very much that there's so much more than just this physical body
0: right wow now a lot of people listening are going to say that is a one traumatic experience and so you've mm-hmm. dealt with both physical yeah. trauma and emotional trauma and you've gone from this world of Seeing kind of the the seedier mm. sides of of society and, and life, and yeah. when things aren't going right for people, um, how would you kind of mesh together the work you're doing with the healing with your past experiences that you saw in law enforcement? Then
1: ah, well, if I touch, you know, it's interesting that you say that that that's a traumatic experience and. You know, I'm going to follow along with that story a little bit more because mm-hmm. it does play a part in, you know, more current situations. So when I experienced that, you know, I had my, my three girls and I thought to myself as a parent, I would never be that selfish. I would never take my own life and, and be that selfish because of the effect it has on others and thank god the children didn't come home and find her we got to her first right
0: yes wow
1: so i I, that it really had it did have an effect on me i don't know if i would say a traumatic effect but later on so i recently and i don't i haven't really displayed this even on my own show david but you're Mm -hmm. the lucky one today (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we recently made a move to Texas. Um, my, my husband and I, it was a a job purpose to move and relocate. And so we, um, of course we're going to take the kids and we bought this big, beautiful home. And, uh, my ex-husband was like, uh, no, you're not taking the kids. And I'm like, yes, I am. I'm the primary parent course they're going with me. (laughs) So there was this huge court battle and custody battle, and I didn't think that I would lose. And David, I lost. So my kids are now primarily with their dad. And that was such a massive, massive switch and change and transition in my life that I was spiraling down really, really hard. When we talk about identities and who we think we are, (laughs) I mean, whether it's uh, I'm a spouse, I'm a parent, this is um me because of my career field. You know, I experienced that a lot after law enforcement when I got out of that career field where you identify as something and then you come back and and you're no longer that. That was really hard for me as well. But when it was involving my kids, um it was very very traumatic for me. And that was so, a
0: massive switch. Absolutely. It, wow. It
1: was. Yeah, from a full-time parent, I even homeschooled To having them a few months in the summer and every other Christmas is, is a massive, massive change. It's like a death. Um, but then there's also the feelings of betrayal because I felt like, why, why would you choose your dad over me when I've been there always? when, when I've always been there for you, when I've done everything, probably too much as a parent. So it was a real, real awakening into having to learn to be something else, like creating a new identity for myself. Like, like motherhood doesn't define me. My disease doesn't define me. Being a police officer doesn't define me. Like, well, what does? And so, but the reason that that is particularly important with the woman who had taken her life is because i was so judgmental towards her and when i was spiraling down david i didn't want to live i thought if i if i am not a parent i i mean i identified so strongly as mother
0: yes that
1: i didn't know how to show up in the world Even though I have a very loving husband, I have love and support. My kids don't hate me. They love me dearly, but I I didn't know how to deal with that and I didn't want to be here. And so she came up a lot in my mind, (laughs) a lot, like almost like a haunting, right? And it's like, whoa, maybe maybe I should not judge so strongly because you never know what's going on with people. And... You know, that's why mental illness is such a a massive headline right now. Yes. You know, because people, it's very difficult to know how to deal with that if we're not given the tools and none of us are. I mean, the way that we have built our society, we're not, you know, we're not going to school and learning how you know, to go within, to meditate, to feel our feelings and, you know, to really be able to cope and to, you know, move past things and move past childhood traumas and realize the truth of, you know, when we have these reoccurring thoughts, they, that's, that's what creates us. And so what thoughts do we want to choose and how important that is?
0: Right. Now, you've seen mental health and it's not just from this suicide, but you said from a lot of domestic abuse cases too. Um, oh, yeah. How many times did you kind of look at people and say, physically or emotionally or even neurologically, uh, they're not capable of dealing with this? Yeah. And, uh, where do you see that kind of being in the healing aspect as well not just the emotional mental health side of things but the physical side of things to to get people to be able to to cope with with the stressors of life then too
1: Mm. well david there was a few things that i realized with my experience uh in the field and it was i think a lot of us that go into those first responding positions is innately we have this desire to, to save, to right. help people. Yes. And then you come to this really sad realization that people simply do not change or help themselves until they make the choice to. And I mean, David, I would give people resource after resource after resource, like, hey, we can get you out of this. Here's a safe place. You can totally be a whole new person and be hidden away from, you know, the, this person that's that's hurting you right. and, and we can help you get there. Um, there's so many resources out there. And yet people go back to that circle of, of violence. just It's what they're familiar with. It's what they're comfortable with. And so they'll continue to do so until something outside of them, it hits them internally and it clicks for them and they make the choice. Right. Now, the, the thing is, is that it's not the same thing for everyone. And you just never know what it's going to be. I mean, the beautiful thing about what you and I are doing right now, and this is why I do... The Wellness Driven Life Show is because it's pushing out information on a worldwide scale. So it's able to touch people um, and and give exposure on, on this mass scale, whereas I could never have done that without this technology. And so if I realized that if I really wanted to help people, first off, I have to help myself
0: And it really always,
1: always starts with you. Um, I interviewed Dr. Derek Kayongo. He's an incredible human being. And he survived the – he's a refugee out of Uganda and Africa. Um, So back in the 90s when there was the genocidal wars, he survived that. And so he is doing all this profound work um, on a global scale. And he said the same thing is he's like, you know, we can't keep pushing money into Africa. It's not helping. It's not doing anything. And he said, the change is from each individual it's within. And so to hear even him say something like that, I mean, it just, I mean, I know that that's truth, but you know, it, that's really what it is, is each one of us has to do the work. And, the stories that you and I are pushing out by doing a show when we're brave enough to be able to come out here and and share our stories and share our wisdom based on our experiences is is what's having an effect on other people. Because if it's my one story that can click with somebody and they're like, oh my gosh, then that's that's being a light in the world. And I invite everyone to do that, to really start sharing your stories.
0: I love it. Wow. And where do you think you're going to take it from here? I know you've got a lot of plans and ambition to, yeah. to get this message out and to, and to affect people's lives in this positive, great way. Uh, what yeah. are your, your next goals and, and dreams here?
1: Uh There's a lot, but (laughs) the, the show really, it was initially, and it's growing very rapidly, which is fantastic. Initially it was like, okay, the first 90 days, we're going to hit it hard. We're going to do a lot of interviews. We're going to, you know, create great content and just do it persistently, consistently and, and, and do it well, get familiar with that. Yes. And so that's, that's what we did. And I think that's really, really important when you, when you go out to do, you know, big things or you have these big audacious goals or what have you, you have to start somewhere and, you know, you begin with the end in mind, but if I were to critique every little thing, cause I, I, I love to be a perfectionist and, yes. but if, if I were to be like, Oh, the logo is not right. Or, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with going on camera, um, yes, 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 and if I didn't just start doing it and and going, then I would never do it. And so that's that's a really important feature of when people have dreams to just just get started and do a little bit. And and the the cool thing about it is you just continue to improve, you right. know. And that's of course going to happen regardless, as you continue to keep moving forward with whatever it is that you're doing, the improvements happen as a result. And so what we, what I'm excited about doing is building community. That's the next big thing. So now that we have the show and it's, it's building the awareness, the exposure, people are starting to know who we are. They love how we show up. They love the guests that we have, the stories that are produced, the tips and tricks, you know, so things that they can implement in their own lives. Then that, that was the beginning. And so now the community is starting to form together. And from that, you know, there's going to be Events and all of these other things that stem from it, without within that community piece,
0: that is awesome and amazing, and I'm looking forward to seeing it, it come come to to fruition. There, um, how do people find more information about you and about your show?
1: Well, right now, um, you just use our handle at the Wellness Driven Life Show. And yes, it's long. It is all spelled out. We may be doing a little cutting down here in the near future. But until then, yeah, you know, David, we're on so many different platforms. I love primarily to push our YouTube channel because the show gives not only the audio, but the virtual. So what's great about that is you can see the guests and you can see our physical features and our emotions and how we interact. And that's a beautiful aspect of the show. So because YouTube is, you know, about to surpass Google as the largest search engine in the world, we like to push that because it just makes sense. Um, but we're also, you know, as far as the podcast aspect, if you want to tune in, you know, we're on, uh, Uh, Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on Amazon. So all of those things, you can look us up, the Wellness Driven Life Show.
0: Nice. I love it. Definitely check out April's show, the Wellness Driven Life Show. And also stay tuned to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care.